Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, this week at one point I clicked on the uh, news app on my iPad and I began to scan a few of the headline stories that came up. I'm going to read those headlines to you. Kavanaugh accuser won't testify Monday, but open to doing so later next week. Four dead, including 26-year-old female suspect in Maryland Rite Aid shooting. Gambling monkeys are helping scientists find a risk-taking brain area. Man charged in killing of D.C. woman in unprovoked attack. Nobody wants to work with Chevy Chase. Why is college in America so expensive? And finally, former Kardashian makeup artist Joyce Benelli marries Ben Taverniti. But I'm imagining we all knew that one anyway, so we didn't need that in the news. Now, I realize news headlines on an iPad or other device are somewhat determined by personal preferences that in this case I would have picked, which begs the question, why am I getting news updates about the Kardashians? But that's not what this is about, so we'll move on. But even so, when you just look at the news on any given day, it just raises the question, how does one live out the gospel in this crazy world? How do followers of Jesus guide their families so they know what is good and right and so they can choose what is good And what is right? How do we find God and have some kind of experience of Him in the midst of all the noise and hustle of life? And I imagine most of us, at least occasionally, think about these kinds of things. As Manuel said, we're in week three of our Formed in Worship series, where we're talking about the ways this Sunday worship gathering forms us as individuals and as a Christian community to live faithfully in the midst of this present culture. And today, we are talking about the role of the Bible in this worship gathering. The power of the Bible to shape and reshape and prepare and equip us to live well and to live faithfully in this chaotic world. We worship together when we gather as a people and we open ourselves to hear God's voice through the reading and proclamation of His Word. The writer of the book of Hebrews is reminding his readers in our scripture reading about Israel's example from history. Soon after the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, they began this long habit of not listening to God's instructions. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says they hardened their hearts. And that's an important idea for us to keep in mind today as we think about our response to the Word of God. The Israelites were the people of God, but the writer of the book of Hebrews says they hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts toward what God was saying to them. They resisted His guidance, and they chose to go their own way. And any one of us that is at all authentic or real would acknowledge that this seems like a human instinct that all of us have, to reject what God is saying and to go our own path. And because the Israelites chose to harden their hearts, they were forbidden from entering the promised land, or as the Hebrew 
Hebrews author puts it, the, they were forbidden from entering God's rest. It's a really cool picture. The Israelites then were on the verge of entering the promised land, of entering into God's rest after all their troubles and difficulties. But because they rejected God's words, they ended up wandering around in the desert for some 40 years. And this is the backstory to our scripture reading today we read a moment ago. The author of Hebrews is telling us, don't repeat their mistake. And so verse 11 from Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The Israelites were told, harden their hearts to God's voice. We, the writer tells us, are to make every effort to do the work, to listen to God's voice and align with what he says and do what he says. And so part of what it means to worship God together each week is that we allow ourselves to be shaped by his word. You know this and so do I. When you hear the phrase, a worship service or a time of worship, the first and probably only thing in some cases that comes to mind is singing. What we're trying to get at in this particular series is that when we talk about worshiping together, that aspect of worship involves all sorts of facets of who we are as people, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, our wills, our thoughts, our relationships, is all involved in this holistic experience called worship. And when we come together, it is far more than singing. And in today's case, there is this encounter with God's Word. And so we are called to engage in that encounter to enter into the encounter of God speaking to us through his word. So once again, and this is on the screens, from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Where authentic worship is happening, the Bible reaches down into our depths. It penetrates our various defense mechanisms. We are allowing the Bible to shape the detailed particulars of our lives. We let it reshape attitudes, choices, our perspective on various things. We let it reshape our beliefs, decisions we are trying to make, and actions we need to take. Where authentic worship is happening, we let Scripture ask us disruptive questions about our values and about our priorities. We bring ourselves to the scripture, we open ourselves in front of it, and we let it search us and ask us questions. We especially let it ask us questions about our identities, who we are, and what it is that we actually and genuinely trust. Mostly where authentic worship is happening, we allow the Bible to shape our views of God. Reading again from our call to worship in Psalm 145, he is gracious and compassionate. Good to all, trustworthy in all his promises, faithful in all he does. 
righteous in all his ways. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures through all generations. Where authentic worship is happening, God's word is challenging our beliefs and stretching us beyond our comfort zones. We are listening for his voice in the reading and in the proclamation of his word. We are taking his word into our being. We are receiving it. And it is shaping and forming and reforming who we are. And all of this, all that we're talking about, is to be happening right here, among other places, when we gather to worship God. We encounter, in other words, the transforming power of God's truth. Now, when I read these verses that are up on the screen in the book of Hebrews, and then read them again, and then read them again, and think about the Bible being alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, it sounds to me like encountering the Bible could be a rather disruptive experience. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That all sounds rather unsettling and a little bit unpleasant. Like, where is the anesthesia? Because this sounds like it's going to hurt. I mean, think about it. A double-edged sword has this habit of cutting. It slices. And yes, sometimes it draws blood. So the Bible reveals the real stuff of who I am. The particulars the details of my brokenness. I can broadcast, well, I'm a broken person, but if I'm going to hear the Bible in the way it wants to talk to me, it's going to move past those generalities, and it's going to get down into the depths of my brokenness, the particulars of it. It's going to reveal my addictions. It's going to expose my narcissism. It will reveal my thoughts and my attitudes and my idols. And again, that all sounds rather disruptive and a little bit scary. And this is why it is so tempting to encounter the Bible with an underlying hardened heart. Probably not one that is resisting and showing the resistance and I don't agree with that and I don't believe that. Maybe that, but probably not that. An underlying hardened heart where we keep the Bible at arm's length so it only gets so close to us. We may not even realize our heart is hardened. If I were to ask the silly question, how many of you have a hardened heart? I doubt too many hands would go up. But a hardened heart resists the Bible whenever it pokes at ingrained values or behaviors or attitudes or when it stirs up a new perspective to consider that clashes with the perspective we cherish. And so a hardened heart is one that is not really open to being shaped by the Bible. We shape what we hear so it conforms to what we already think and believe. That would be a hardened heart. We hear the Bible read or we hear it 
talked about, and we shape what we hear so it fits with what we already think and believe. That's a hardened heart. It's like we each have this mechanism built into us, so whenever we hear something that contradicts a paradigm or a perspective we have, the mechanism activates, and we mold what we hear to fit into our paradigms and systems and beliefs, so we shape the Bible maybe more than the Bible actually shapes us. And we all do this. We defend our ground, you might say. Sometimes because the ground we are holding really does reflect the truth of God's word, and so we really should defend it. But other times we defend our ground even though the ground we're holding does not reflect the teaching of the Bible. We simply use the Bible to defend our biases. We want the world to be a certain way. And we use the Bible to make it that way. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, if we read it, and then read it again, and then read it again, Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, portrays the Bible as a surgeon's scalpel. And if I sign the release and agree to go under its knife, it's going to cut into me. It's going to reveal the deep stuff in me like the values I treasure that, in fact, are not kingdom values, the addictions I cherish, the judgments I make with such unflinching certainty. The Bible wants to slowly recalibrate and realign me if I sign the release, and I permit it to. But you know, and so do I, surgery is painful. And this is what makes the commonly expressed desire as it sometimes is said, to get deeper into the Bible, so interesting to think about. I mean, at one level, it's the desire to know God more, and that's a good desire. But I'm not so sure we understand what getting deeper into the Bible ultimately entails. It's like walking around sort of excitedly saying, I can't wait to have more surgeries. I like taking all my clothes off and putting on that robe that ties in the back but never quite fits right. I like being put to sleep and entrusting my existence to people who are standing over me with sharp objects in their hands. I like being cut into. Surgery is vulnerable. Surgery is intimate. We're, we are completely in the hands of another. It is risky when uh, People talk about getting deeper into God's Word. I mean, that's a risky thing to want to do. We should be aware of the risk. However, when people talk about getting deeper into God's Word, they often mean they want to understand up here what this or that verse means. Or maybe they want to know where certain subjects are in the Bible because they want to be able to flip to them fast. Or they want to plow through the Bible word for word and verse after verse. And all again, all of that can be good. But getting deeper into the Bible is not about knowing more about the Bible. It's about being molded by the Bible, confronted by its countercultural system. Getting deeper into the Bible is about being transformed down at the down deep at the level of embedded paradigms and perspectives and ingrained habits. I know for a fact that I could go a long, long time on the Bible I've already put into my head 
and just begin a process of letting it have its way with me. Getting deeper into the Bible means surgery, where everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of God, as it says in our passage. So we worship together when we open ourselves to what God has to say to us. We give our attention to his word to guide us through the maze of this world's craziness. It's the audacious idea that when we gather and listen to the Bible, God actually speaks to us. And something happens. We hear him and we're compelled toward him and something transformative happens. And there are many ways for us to get in front of the Bible. I mean, we could go on and on about the various ways throughout the course of a week that you can get in front of the Bible. But this gathering right here is one of the ways we get in front of God's word and let it perform its surgery on us individually, for sure, and communally as the people of God. So I'm going to talk for a second about this idea of encountering the Bible and our role in that encounter when we gather. So let's talk about the scripture reading for a moment. And we have this each and every week, and we just had it a moment ago. I was at a family member's wedding this last weekend in Denver, and like most weddings, there was that moment when the bride was about to walk down the aisle, and all of us were sitting there, and somebody, after a matter of time, saw the bride at the back in the middle of the aisle and kind of looked around a little bit awkwardly, and everybody looked at each other, and then everybody thought, oh, yeah, we're supposed to stand up now. And so they stood, we all stood up. This was her time. And so we stood and turned toward her. This was a time for us to honor her, to celebrate her. This was a time for all of us to give our attention to her. And so we stood up and we gave our attention to the bride. And most Sundays, I actually was fretting a bit when Manuel led our scripture reading because he didn't say, let's stand for our scripture reading. I thought, of all the days, you've got to say it today because it kind of is part of the point. Most Sundays, there's a moment where we say, would you stand for our scripture reading? And we do this because this is the time to listen to God's word and give our attention to God's word and hear him speak through his word. All week long, we are bombarded with advertisements and social media updates and stuff related to our jobs and news flashes. A whitewater of information rushes at us every day and we don't stand up to give our attention to it. We don't stand up in front of the TV screen before the next episode of Ozark begins to play. We don't stand up in front of the iPad when we punch the news app button. I mean, if you're doing either of those things or standing up in either of those occasions, I would suggest seeking immediate help. I hope you're not. And we don't do that because it's the same old stuff. It's the same old news. We've heard it all before with a different headline. But we stand for the scripture reading because we believe it is the proclamation of truth. We are about to hear words that reflect the way God intends for us and life and relationships and for this world to be. And so for a few moments on a Sunday morning, we are doing something we most likely have not done all week long. Together with others, we are giving our attention to the Word of God and we are inviting it 
to speak to our lives and to our situations. And when we're done, the reader says, this is the word of the Lord. And we respond by saying, thanks be to God. This is the way things are supposed to be. Thanks be to God. Thank God he has spoken to us. Thank God he's left us with a guide for this maze to get through this crazy maze in this crazy world. But again, and this is crucial, you have a part to play in this drama. You have a role. And our role, in the words of the author of Hebrews, is to make every effort. To give God our attention. To listen to the voice of the Spirit. What does He have for me in today's Word? What is He saying to me? So when we put together all that we have been talking about so far, we are reminded of the significance of what we are doing in here each week. It matters because there's something of God in play. This is not an event we sit and watch. It's an encounter we participate in. And that doesn't mean we can't laugh or celebrate or hang out with one another or enjoy being together or have a cup of coffee. It doesn't mean any of those things. But worshiping together is a deep dive. The reading of God's word has a transforming power in it. And I don't know if we always recognize the stakes when we come together. And so this reading by Annie Dillard, I've always loved this. It's from a book called Teaching a Stone to Talk, and it's on the screen if you want to follow along. She says, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness. Now, this is written a while ago, but it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. So that's the scripture reading. Let's talk for a second about the sermon. As you know, it is entirely possible to have knowledge about something without having wisdom. Knowledge is good, but wisdom is the ability to take the knowledge we have and live it out in everyday situations. Real quickly, the other day I was at Home Depot. We have a problem with our disposal. And so we need a new disposal. And so I went to Home Depot and uh, figured out where the disposals were and got one and went to the front and said, uh, what does it cost to get someone to come and put this in? And the guy said, you know, I'd be glad to take the money from you, but the reality is this is really easy to put in. 
I said, okay. He said, so here's what you do. And he starts mentioning all these instruments. So you get this black hose, and I know what a black hose is. And you know what, the, what an Allen wrench is? Yeah, I know what an Allen wrench is. Well, what you do is you take this thing off and turn it this way. And the whole time I'm going along with it, going, yeah, I know what that is. Okay, I've been under there. I see that. That plugs in there. That goes over there. I get all that. And he goes through it all. I go, see, it's really not that hard. And I'm thinking to myself, I have some knowledge about a disposal. I know what it does. I know what that tube is, and I know what that wrench is, and I understand clockwise and counterclockwise, at least I think I do. And I get all that. I have knowledge about those things. I don't have the slightest idea how to replace a disposal. The whole house would be underwater. I should buy masks and fins for Julie and I. Knowledge about is very different from wisdom. Tim and Kathy Keller write this, To be wise, we must understand human nature, how human relationships work, suffering and death, and the character of God himself. Wisdom is wedding thought and experience to become competent with regard to the realities of life. And among all other things we should study, True wisdom requires deep knowledge of the scriptures. Even Jesus based his every move on the Bible, quoting scripture to face and explain his death. How can we be wise without being immersed in the word of God? And I love this statement. Wisdom is wedding thought and experience to become competent with regard to the realities of life. And each week, hopefully, to one degree or another, the sermon has to do with helping us become competent with regard to the realities of life. The sermon is intended for wisdom. It is aimed at the practical realities of life in this crazy world. Now, it is crazy to think every word or any word in a sermon comes directly from God. I am well aware that the good, bad, and ugly in me gets injected into virtually every one of these sermons. So my biases, my slants, my past, all of that gets rolled up and injected into these messages. And I am broken, and I am terrifically flawed, and I am amazingly selfish. And the things I say from up here possess those exact same attributes. So everything that is said from up here, at least when I'm saying it, should be taken with several grains of salt, maybe even whole bottles of salt. But somehow, in ways I don't need to understand, God speaks in this encounter. He talks to us about the things happening in our daily lives, through this weird thing we call a sermon or teaching. And I have a confession to make to you. I am constantly fighting the absurdity of a sermon. Constantly. While I'm preparing, while I'm giving it, I'm always fighting it. And I'm fighting it for this reason, because I recognize I've given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these, and many of you have listened to thousands of these, And to think that in the course of a given year, there are 50, 60, 70 sermons, all of which have two, three, or four points. And at the end of a year, you've got 400 things that have been thrown at you that anybody is going to actually do anything about any one of those things. 
And yet I and the others who stand up here spend an unbelievable amount of time preparing these messages because we believe this gathering matters. Obviously, there's only so much any one sermon can do, but it can do something. And the crazier the world becomes, the more it seems to me we need to sit in front of the Word of God and authentically struggle with what it says and how do we live it out. And a sermon is one way to do that. Sermons are not about giving answers, much to the disappointment of some of you. Sermons are not step-by-step formulas. One, two, three, and you'll be successful in this crazy world. I don't buy that at all. Answers and formulas sound good, I suppose, but there's often a hollowness in them. At least to me, they lack a kind of realness. And it's like, I know it's not real, and you know it's not real, but no one wants to say it's not real because it kind of sounds good and it's a little bit cute. Few people ever remember a sermon outline. I mean, never. Do people remember a sermon outline? Few people ever remember a single point in a sermon by the time they get to the front door of their car. But God speaks somehow in this setting. He talks to us about the things that matter to us. But here's the thing. A sermon is not someone here talking to you down there. Sermon is encounter. Because we're attempting to take the word of God and apply it into the practicalities of everyday life. So if it's going to have any meaning, you have a role. And the role is to engage. The role is to enter into it. How do we do that? How do we participate? Some time ago, we rolled out these very simple journals. And uh, this is a bit old school, but one of the ways to engage... One of the ways to make it more than just a one-way talking head is to have some way of jotting things down. I don't mean, you know, becoming a court reporter and writing everything that gets said, but some people draw pictures in these journals as things get evoked in their mind. Some people just doodle for a while with a sense of their hearing and their listening. Some people, their imaginations run wild as they think about what is being talked about and they imagine in their journal. Some people daydream. Admittedly, some people write the grocery list they're going to go get in a few minutes, which is fine too. There's a daydreaming, creative, what is God saying? What is he doing? And how do I enter into that? And these journals help some people tap into this idea that God's moving, his word is alive and active, and I'm engaging with it and I'm hearing it. And if you want one of these, they're out at the community booth on your way out the door. I think they're $5. You can get one. There's a new thing though coming down the pike and I'm kind of excited about this, and I'm surprised that I'm excited about it, actually. But in a week or so, we're going to have a church app that you can put on your phone. And the purpose of this church app, among other things, and they're going to talk about this more, I believe, next week. But part of that church app is going to be a section. Right now, it's called Coming Into Sunday. And on there, we'll have the scripture verse that we'll be using that week. Some of you use the UVerse Bible app. Well, that our app is going to tie right into that UVerse Bible app, so you'll have the scripture reading there. You can punch it, and the, the, it'll come up in the UVerse. There's going to be quotes. The two quotes that I had on the screen today as an example, 
uh, would likely be in there that if you thought, oh, that was kind of interesting, you can go back all during the next week and actually read the quote and think about it. You'll see a link to the book where the quote was from and all sorts of other stuff that we're thinking of putting in there to help it make it easier to engage, to encounter, and to interact with the Word of God. Wisdom is wedding thought and experience to become competent with regard to the realities of life. So I'd like to stop for a second and just kind of get ready to wrap this up. But I'd like you to think right now about the realities of your lives. In fact, I want to ask you to kind of close your eyes if that's easy enough for you to do. If you want to keep your eyes open, that's fine too. But I'd like you to think right now about the realities of your lives. What's in front of you right now? The concerns you may have. The questions, the fears, the insecurities, the unknowns, the pains. Lexio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice that dates way back to the very first few centuries of Christianity. Lexio Divina literally means sacred or divine or spiritual reading. And it is essentially approaching the Bible under the conviction that God is talking. So Lexio Divina is a contemplative reading of Scripture. It is pondering a text of Scripture in the expectation that a transforming word will make its way from the passage to the practical situation of our lives. It is not reading for information purposes. It's not reading to try to understand. It's neither of those. It's reading to hear God's voice. And the intention is to slow down, read the Bible unhurriedly, with attentiveness, so we might hear from and experience the living God. So think of your life realities. What's in front of you? As a family, we are, have been in the midst of some challenging times, some life stuff that we've run into, some Sadness and heartache over the loss of Julie's mom. And that's weighed on our family. That's in front of us. Also for me, details don't matter, but I've recognized another layer of identity stuff I need to deal with. I've got to think about and invite God into to peel that layer back. What are you facing? I'm going to take us through very briefly this Lexio Divina exercise for the following purpose. A, that it might speak to you, that God might speak to you in your life situation through his words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And the other reason I'm going to do this is to try to demonstrate how simple it is to get in front of God's word and ponder it and let it speak to us. So, Heavenly Father, we come to this, these few minutes with hearts that want to be open, ears that want to hear. We want to listen for your voice and we hold in front of you the situations of our lives and we ask you to use the words of this passage to speak to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The apostle says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to read that again, and we're just going to continue to believe the Spirit is with us, and He wants to speak. So as I read, all I want you to do is pay attention to a word, or to a thought, or to a phrase that catches your attention as I read. Don't ask why, don't wonder why, just if it does, hang on to it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Think about the word or the thought or the phrase that grabbed your attention. And I want to give you a moment in just maybe a minute to prayerfully ponder that word, thought, or phrase. And hold it before God. Maybe ask Him, what is He saying? What is He asking of you? Does that word or that thought or that phrase reflect some direction He's leading you? Take a moment to ponder your thought, your word, your phrase. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you.
Spirit of God, we trust you today with the words, the thoughts, or the phrases that you have impressed upon us. And we pray that we will go with confidence in you and that we will live out this wisdom in the concrete realities of our daily lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for being here. There is, as always, there's food in the back, and I would encourage you to hang around, say hello to each other, and as you leave, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.